Hello everyone, my name is Marina and as your host, welcome to the 13th episode of our podcast, Raya Affairs. I am the Project Development Coordinator at Raya Group while studying a Bachelor in Law and International Relations. And lately, I have worked alongside a team to bring you the latest Raya content. I'm not alone today as my team member Meryl is here with me. Meryl, could you introduce yourself and do the Raya honors? Hi everyone, I am Mero and I've already been with Raya for almost a year, now as part of Marina's team. I just finished my master's in European studies and I'm an intern at the Dutch Ministry of Education. For the ones who don't know about Raya, I want to give a brief overview. So Raya is an international think tank led by young professionals that translates the abstract world of international affairs by simplifying rather than generalizing. Raya is where you come to learn about the stories and the worries of political leaders, the behind the scenes of decision makers, and how politics impacts and changes your life. This is Raya Affairs, filling in wherever you are. As our disclaimer, we would like to make it clear that expressed opinions in this episode are welcome, even though they are not a direct reflection of Raya, as the methodology of our organization is based on unbiased writing and analysis. All right, so thanks, Meryl, for introducing yourself and informing our listeners about Raya. As you may have been following in our previous episode, we recorded a podcast with Raya editor Ariel on a maritime border dispute between former President Lapid of Israel and former President of Lebanon, Aoun. An agreement had been signed that discussed the jurisdiction of each country in the Mediterranean Sea, specifically on the ownership and exploitation of the oil fields of interest. We delved into what both leaders' interests were and the motivation of other actors also involved. Our last part of the episode, Connecting the Dots, discussed more about the current oil crisis and the effect of the agreement on the shortages of oil in Europe. If you want to know more about this episode, listen to it as it was hosted with Ariel. So this week we'll be moving on on another agreement further east from Lebanon and Israel and within a single country. We will look at state and non-state actors and regional interests when it comes to acts of violence. Today, we will be discussing the recent events surrounding the broken ceasefire between Pakistan's government and the Tariqa Taliban Pakistan. From here onwards, we will name the Tariqa Taliban Pakistan, the TTP, for the sake of keeping the flow of conversation. So, with this in mind, let's kick off our episode. I would like to introduce our Raya writer and intern, Xenia Kumanina, who will tell us about the insights she has gained while researching the TTP resurgence in Pakistan. Marina, take it away. Okay, so hi, Xenia, and welcome to the Raya Affairs podcast. We always give our listeners a chance to get to know you a bit before we dive into the topic. Could you tell us more about yourself? What do you do? And more importantly, what got you into Raya? Hello everyone, I'm really excited to be here with you today. I have a degree in international politics and since January have been working with Raya as a research and analysis intern. And my main research interests are connected to the main region. Namely, I mostly analyze transnational terrorist groups and military conflicts in the Middle East. Thank you for the introduction, Senia, and amazing that you have such a specific expertise. So this next question, we always ask our guests on the podcast because we know they are passionate about international relations, but also because they never fail to surprise or amaze us in their answers. So Xenia, what leader, dead or alive, who has impacted the world would you like the opportunity to have a conversation with if you could? 
Well, I think for me, it is definitely going to be Saddam Hussein for a very, very particular reason. I would love to discuss his take on radical Islamist group's resurgence in Iraq and neighboring states after mass his execution. All right, thank you, Zenia. Let's get right into it. So for the past episodes, I have been giving some context to our listeners because the leaders that we have come to discuss and the details that we have gotten into are not something that people are as exposed to in the conventional day-to-day media. But for today, I think that you should go ahead and give our listeners this context based on the extensive research that we see in your article. So my first question is, Zenia, who is the TTP? And where in Pakistan do they currently act? The TTP is basically a byproduct of the US-led war on terror, which followed the 2001 invasion of Afghanistan. At the time, many Pakistani jihadists who fought on behalf of the Pakistani government in Afghanistan turned against the Pakistani state, angered by its cooperation with Washington. The TTP members started sheltering al-Qaeda members and the Afghan Taliban militants which eventually grew into sort of a more formal alliance. After the Afghan Taliban's takeover in 2021, the TTP renewed its pledge of alliance to its ally. It is also very important to mention that there was no such claim from the Afghan Taliban government side. Since the TTP's organizational establishment in 2007, militants conducted numerous attacks across Pakistan The TTP militants are situated mainly in tribal areas along the Durant Line, which are not under the direct administrative control of the Pakistani government. The Durant Line is the Afghanistan-Pakistan border, which is still not recognized by Afghanistan. Wow, thank you, Senia, for this introduction. So I just wanted to add a quick comment before we move on. So when we talk about the TTP, we should also discuss two important terms. The first mentioned when we discuss the TTP militants is the Mujahideen. This refers to the people who engage in jihad, which itself is another important concept. So, Xenia, can you tell us what the jihad is based on your research, perhaps with examples of how the TTP has interpreted it? Yes, and sorry, before answering this question, Xenia, I actually read up a bit more on jihad and found a very interesting perspective. Jihad in Arabic means the struggle in the way of Allah. And to some Muslims, it's actually considered a sixth pillar of Islam because jihad can be inner, so meaning an internal spiritual struggle when you seek self-improvement. And it also can be outer, which is struggling against any aggression of others. So Muslims carry jihad in spirit and in practice, and it's a beautiful concept in the Islamic scripture, but it has been misinterpreted for years to justify resistance. And now even more so, it's associated with extremism and terrorism, as militant groups think that part of this struggle is with the West and engaging in conflict with the West is part of jihad. So I guess now we can move on, given the clarification of the terms. But again, Can you tell us what jihad is based on your research and how the TTP has carried out a jihad? Of course, I would try to put it in more of a simple terms for listeners. Basically, jihad for Islamist groups is an act of violence targeted at people who do not support their beliefs, their systems, for example, the imposing of the Sharia law or directed against the ones who humiliate Islam and who are basically not Muslims. 
Some examples of the jihad execution are suicide attacks, attacks at population, and attacks targeted at the government officials. So, Xenia, could you give us more of a specific example of the TTP and these actions? Of course, in terms of TTP, in 2022 alone, the TTP and its affiliate groups conducted 367 attacks across Pakistan with heightened frequency in tribal areas bordering Afghanistan. It is actually a 27% increase from previous year, which is 2021. On January 30th, 2023, the TTP conducted the deadliest attack since 2014, with over 100 people killed in Peshawar Mosque. Since then, there were five more attacks with at least 21 persons killed, and the main victims of which were Pakistani law enforcement personnel. Thank you, Xenia, for explaining this. So moving on to the actual reason we are discussing the TTP, is a ceasefire between the group and the Pakistani government. Xenia, could you tell us about the context of this ceasefire and perhaps where the significance of this agreement lays given Pakistan's turbulent economic and political situation? Yes. On November 28, 2022, TTP ended the indefinite ceasefire uh, secured in June of 2022 with the Pakistani government. Actually, it was one of several agreements secured with the Pakistani government throughout the years. The initial negotiations were started in 2021 by the previous government of Imran Khan, and they also were facilitated by the Taliban government. Besides re-escalated militant activity, 2022 was already really challenging for Pakistan on the domestic front. Former Prime Minister Imran Khan's ousting by no confidence vote in April, rallies across the country in his support, uh, retirement of long serving Chief of Army Staff Kamar Javed Bajwa have seriously destabilized the country. Also, the near collapse of Pakistan's economy, failing debt reserves, a pending EMF agreement for 2023 are all factors increasing poverty. Thanks, Senya. Before we move on to the specific demands post-ceasefire, that demands that may have resulted in this rupture, I think it's time we discuss the individual behind the decision-making, since we've already approached so much of the context. On the one side, we have the new Chief of Army Staff, General Asim Munir. Senya, could you tell us more about General Munir, who he is, and what is his role? Yes. In late November of 2022, just in time of the TTP resurgence, General Asim Munir was appointed as the new Pakistani Chief of Army Staff. He is the first course who served both as the head of inter-services intelligence and the military intelligence. There is still little to no information about General Munir besides the fact that he was a close associate of retired course Bajwa and has a good reputation due to his decades-long service. And Zenia, as a follow-up, you mentioned in your article that General Munir has one of the most powerful positions in Pakistan, given that he can influence both domestic and foreign affairs. Why is that, and what other pressures does it place on General Munir? In other words, he has to, at the end of the day, deal with a lot more than the TTP, right? 
Yes, that is totally correct. In Pakistan, a nuclear armed country with a history of military rule, the army chief is arguably the most powerful position due to the army's major influence on Pakistani domestic and foreign affairs, particularly towards Afghanistan and India. It has to do with the Pakistani political landscape and hierarchical and carefully chosen command structure of the Pakistani military. So, besides the TTP resurgence, General Asim Munir has to deal with the crumbling economy and unstable political situation caused by ongoing protests in support of Imran Khan. Thank you, Xenia. I think our listeners now fully understand the role of Chasim Munir and also the situation he is in. So, point blank, what did your analysis show you in terms of what General Munir wants? The primary security goal for newly appointed cause is to minimize the TTP threat. During negotiations in July of 2022, the TTP had an opportunity to regroup and expand its influence in tribal areas. Thus, the main step General Asim Munir has to take is firstly focusing all available resources on targeted military operations against the TTP to at least push them back closer to the Durant line, and secondly, to try to restore stale relationship of military establishment with the Pashtun population, in particular in relation to the tribal areas. Okay, and just as a follow-up, so what relevant role does the Afghan Taliban government play in getting Munir what he wants? Actually, one of the few ways in which the military establishment can act without worsening the already complicated political landscape or exhausting scarce economic resources is by pressuring the Afghan Taliban government to control the TTP militants displaced on the Afghan side of the border. Kosa Simunir has briefly dealt with the Afghan Taliban during his term as an uh, intelligence chief and pressured Taliban leaders to negotiate with the U.S., However, since November 2022, the Afghan Taliban did not make any steps forward in response to Pakistan's numerous requests to control the TTP. Thank you, Xenia. But before we dive into the actual actions of the Pakistani government, I want to shift to the leader of the TTP, Norwali Mesut. Uh, He's our other main actor. So from what we've learned in your article, he is a religious scholar and is seen by the TTP as a qualified leader to carry out jihad. Since 2018, he has been the leader of the TTP and has been trying to reunify the military group. Could you tell us any more about Norwali and his agenda? Yes, actually, Mersuts, which is a tribal name, have always had a great influence in tribal areas. Similar to other Islamist groups, it is on Norwali's agenda to impose Sharia law-based autonomy across Pakistan, particularly in tribal areas bordering Afghanistan. Since coming out as the TTP leader in 2018, he has been actively reunifying TTP. Nuwali also changed the dynamic of power from central-based decision-making, which actually contributed to the group's disintegration, to a more federal approach, which allowed him to build a stronger network inside Pakistan and attract more supporters in tribal areas. At the same time, he changed the TTP's initial agenda of overthrowing the Pakistani government, and now argues more in terms of the succession of the Pashtun-populated areas as his grand aim. 
All right, Danya. So perhaps can we tie his main goal, which, as you just said, is government secession of the Pashtun populated areas, to the demands that the TTP made to the ceasefire agreement in June 2022? Uh, yes. Firstly, the group demanded that Pakistani military forces lessen their presence in the country's former tribal areas, known as the Federally Administrated Tribal Areas, or FATA. Secondly, the TTP wants the reverse of the 2018 merger of the tribal areas into mainland Pakistan through the amendment to Pakistan's constitution, known as FATA merger. The TTP insisted that this very FATA merger reversal was absolutely non-negotiable. And did the Pakistani government in the end accept their demands? As one may suggest, the Pakistani government did not accept Nawali Mehsud's primary demand and actually used this very dialogue to lure senior TTP commanders out of the tribal areas to the negotiation table to target and kill several of them. It also continued conducting military operations against Mujahideen despite the TTP's repeated warnings not to take action, which actually led to ceasefire termination in November of 2022. All right, so thank you for this analysis into Norwali and the events that led up to November 2022. My last question related to him is about the why and the behind why he would want to pursue these two demands, or particularly the FATA merger, which he was so in inclined, which was non-negotiable, as you just mentioned. Does Norwali have a greater geopolitical strategy? From an outside perspective, what does he have to gain? From a geopolitical perspective, Nuwali's strong position on merger reversal is considered as an attempt to integrate the TTP into Pakistani political landscape, legitimizing his position in tribal areas. At the same time, having ties to the Afghan Taliban, the Fatah merger reversal could bring Nuwali an opportunity to create a sort of a buffer zone between Pakistan and Afghanistan, which would elevate the group's political status while securing the Taliban's support. Additionally, access to the Durant Line would allow militants to determine a share in a cross-border black economy, creating funds from which uh, go to the financing of the TTP offensives. So, Xenia, how has the TTP actus, acted since the rupture of the ceasefire? And how has General Minier responded to alleviate the situation, if he did at all? In December of 2022, the TTP carried out a suicide attack at the police checkpoint in Islamabad and took hostages at the counterterrorism department in Bannu, followed by killings of intelligence officers in Punjab province and the deadliest attack since 2014 in Peshawar with over 100 people killed on the January 30th, 2023. The attacks that I have already mentioned whilst we were discussing the form of jihad on the example of TTP. Pressuring Kabul into working around some sort of legal resolution remains the main tactic of Islamabad since the TTP's resurgence, as Pakistan's economy lacks sufficient resources to conduct cross-border airstrikes and expand already existing military operations against the TTP. As of March 2023, 
General Munir remains focused on selective intelligence and military operations against the TTPs, Mujahideen on Pakistani soil. At the same time, Pakistan is seeking assurances from the international community, particularly the United States, on the TTP issue. Currently, both states are increasing security cooperation. So then can Kabul be pressured with the current resources General Minir has? As I have already stated, it is really hard to pressure Kabul with anything because they simply ignore the requests of the Pakistani government. And it is also very important to understand that the relationship between Afghanistan and Pakistan has a decades-long history and are not as easily ruined as it might seem. Both sides need each other for basically for survival. Thank you, Xenia, for explaining all of this. And now to kind of tie it all together, so does your analysis show whether both General Asim Munir and Nurbali are getting what they want? Who Xenia is winning over here? Simple answer to this question is actually no one is winning. On the one hand, Nurbali has arguably more power and influence in tribal areas than before the Taliban's takeover in Afghanistan which allowed him to end the ceasefire with the Pakistani government without serious consequences, despite being a non-state actor. Moreover, was a long-standing requirement of the Fatah merger reversal suggests that Nuvali is determined both in the TTP's operational capability to achieve the goal and has enough power to consider himself as a candidate for tribal areas representation in the Pakistani political landscape. On the other hand, the resources and power General Asim Munir holds at the state level, are absolutely incomparable to those of Nuvali. The Pakistani military establishment has a long history of dealing with both foreign terrorist fighters and homegrown militants like the TTP, and according to Pakistani officials, Islamabad has been successful in capturing the militants responsible for the attacks. All right, so thank you, Zenia, for this summarizing answer, as well as, I think, this separation between state-level and non-state-level successes. So to finish up this main part of our podcast, and before we move on to our last segment, we would like to ask you what you believe are the top three takeaways that our listeners should have in the process of research and analysis. So, Zenia, from your own experience as a writer at Raya, what have you learned in your own general process when it comes to analyzing individuals and analyzing that the way that they make their decisions? First and foremost, I would say that to conduct any sort of analysis, you need to know the history of the region. And you have to understand the dynamic of geopolitical actors surrounding, for example, a particular state. Furthermore, to understand the question or topic as deeply and as fully as possible, I would suggest to not to believe everything you see in the articles or in open sources and try to dig as deep as possible to actually uncover these hidden motivations, hidden relationships and various things that would actually completely change the root of your research.
All right, so thank you, Zenya. History, actors, and deep exploration of one's motivation. That's your top three takeaways. We will now move on to our podcast segment, Connecting the Dots. Here, we try to connect the leader or leaders at hand in this topic with a wider international relations topic. So it will range from development, human rights, foreign policy, security, and others in the IR world. The goal of this part is just to show how interconnected global politics is, regardless of what we are discussing. Thank you, Marina. And now we will go into the discussion on the connecting dots. So, Xenia, we briefly touched upon the U.S. involvement in the situation in Pakistan. In this part of the episode, we would like to delve more into this departure of the U.S. government from Afghanistan grounds. The U.S. has had a significant impact on Afghanistan since 2001, when they invaded the country. On the other hand, the U.S. relationships with Pakistan has a different nature. Namely, there were more transactional ties based on the U.S. creating security for Pakistan. And in exchange, Pakistan would provide cooperation with the U.S. forces. So since March 2020, the U.S. has been removing troops from Afghan grounds, which eventually led to a complete withdrawal by September 2021. In August 2021, the Taliban government had taken over Kabul and the then-president Ashraf Ghani was overthrown. As was clear throughout the podcast, the new Taliban government is not opposing the TTP presence on their territories, providing somewhat of a safe haven on the Afghan side of the Durand line. So, in your like view, was the Afghan Taliban's rule a turning point for the TTP? And what has been the effect on Pakistan's government with the TTP? So can we hence connect the dots between the situation in Pakistan to the departure of the U.S. from Afghanistan? As I have mentioned in the beginning of our discussion, the TTP has been pretty active since 2007. One very important landmark dates back to 2014, when militants stormed an army-run primary and secondary school in Peshawar, killing 150 people, the majority of whom were children. It further provoked harsh response from the Pakistani military, which significantly weakened the TTP resources. However, with the U.S. troop withdrawal from Afghanistan and combined with Nuvali's efforts in reunifying the group and actually changing the agenda, the TTP has definitely had more freedom of movement, has had easier access to bases in Afghanistan and had an opportunity to obtain much more resources and support since the U.S. left the region. All right, so thank you, Zenia. Once again, I would like to highlight what an incredible episode this has been as we conclude in the sense that our discussion with Zenia began by contextualizing the TTP and their resurgence, and then by analyzing how General Munir, as Pakistani chief of army staff, has had to mitigate this resurgence. We went into the clear interests and demands of the TTP leader, Noor Walid, as well as the research challenges of General Munir. Lastly, it was just as significant to discuss the involvement of the Afghan Taliban especially with the U.S.'s withdrawal and their return to power and how this was connected, as Zenya just explained, to the TTP's freedom of movement and access to support. 
Zenia, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It has been an analytically rich discussion with your research really guiding us as we try to understand the dynamics of Pakistan. And thank you also, Marina, for this amazing summary. And thank you, Xenia, for being on the podcast. It has really been a pleasure. I think it has been an insightful episode on an ongoing topic with a lot of history to it. Learning more about General Asim Munir and the TTP leader Nurwali Mesut had given me a clearer view of the situation in Pakistan. We are looking forward to reading more of your article, Senia. The article was both analytical and faithful to the Raya methodology. Thank you very much. Thank you to having me on the podcast. It has been an amazing experience. And I, yet again, invite everyone interested in tourism studies or simply fascinated by the Middle East to read my full article at the Raya website. Yes, again, for those of you who have enjoyed this discussion, and as Zenia just said, please click the link in the episode description to access her article or find her research on rayagroup.org. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram, raya.now, as we will be posting about her article on there as well. It was a pleasure hosting this discussion today. Goodbye, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. Have a great day in your sphere of influence. <laughs>